0: With the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? And Saul increased all, mo- all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by Proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, luring him in a basket. Dear gracious father, Lord God, we just, um, Lord, we just, uh, love you and we just thank you for this opportunity to, to come and hear your word and to be encouraged, Lord. And I just pray that, uh, Lord, that you will settle my heart, Lord, and allow me to be able to speak, uh, uh, graciously and, and truthfully, Lord, and, uh, allow me to be, to forget about myself and, uh, and just focus on your glory lord and so i pray that this word will be one that will be encouraging to the body lord and that uh what uh allow us to continue to uh, uh proclaim your gospel your truth to, to the community and all of this i pray amen how's it going fam all right um house rules uh first of all if you need a bible raise your hand um And one of uh, our members will hand you one. If you need a pen or you need uh, uh, something to write on to take notes, uh, like I said, just raise your hand. Um, Also, we are a body that uh, if you have a question, feel free to raise your hand and ask it. If you uh, have something you want to offer that you think will be edifying to the body, you know, please, you know, feel, feel free to do so. Um, if it's something where it's more personal, then, uh, hold it and, uh, come to one of the uh, elders afterwards. Amen. Amen. My name is Alvin. I'm one of the elders here at Macav Community Church. And, uh, I'm really excited about, uh, this sermon today. And, uh, not because, you know, I'm preaching, but it's, uh, the thing that we're going to be discussing is evangelism. Amen. And, um. want to go to our first verse where it says in isaiah 52 7 how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news who publishes peace who brings good news of happiness who publishes salvation who says to zion your god reigns amen there's another verse in uh the new testament that's a parallel verse and it says And how are they to preach unless uh, they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Amen. Evangelism is a joyful task. How many of you think of evangelism, you think of joy? (laughs) All right. 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 And, but, it, but the beautiful thing about evangelism that it allows us as those who've been touched by the power of the gospel, who are now uh, raised in Christ, right, who are now saved, it allows us to bring the good news of our salvation to the world. And when you think about all the bad news that is going on in today's uh, world, You know, how joyful is it that you could bring a message of hope? You know, when you turn on the news or the radio or you look on Facebook, you know, you see nothing but bad news, right? You know, you see misery, you see pain, you see violence, right? And and you also see a world that's trying to figure all this out. And either they're using uh, methods of escapism like drugs or or sex or uh, psychology or just all these other things. The world is the world is looking around, seeing that everything is jacked up, but unredeemed man can't figure out how to deal with the pain and deal with the suffering. But here we go. We 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 know how to deal with it. In fact, we know that it's been dealt with and our savior, Jesus Christ. And so how beautiful are the feet of those that come into this community with the good news of Christ, amen? Right, and so, how wonderful it is to be able to just john three sixteen to just be able to say, for God so loved the world that He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The fact that the good news is that there is a good God, and this good God saves bad people through the wonderful gift of his Son, and that now we can have reconciliation and to be able to experience true joy on this earth, even, you know, while we're still amongst the suffering, you can have joy, you can have peace. And then you're also looking into your eternity where you realize that there will be a time where God, where Jesus Christ is coming back and he's going to dry up all the tears and he's going to rid the world of sin and make all things new. Amen. That's our destiny. And so we get to proclaim that to the world, right? We are Christ's ambassadors, right? We are his instruments, we are his mouthpiece. You know, in Second Corinthians two, fourteen through fifteen it says, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in a triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. And for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I love that passage of scripture because it says, as we go and retell the story of what God has done in the world, that to him, is like this fragrance, this beautiful stench. And so we as, as Christians, as evangelists, we go in a, in a stinky world, right? With the, the beautiful aroma of the gospel. And it doesn't matter whether people hear it and come to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, or if they deny it and continue to perish, until, but right to perish. It doesn't matter. But what matters is that when we preach the gospel, it is a delight to our God. So it's a joy to do, and it brings God's glory, and it's a delight to Him. And family, I'm so privileged to be able to serve in this body because I believe our church is a church filled with beautiful feet. You know, I believe that in our church, right, the beautiful scent, that fragrance of the gospel is continuously flowing. But the one thing I realized Is that as our desire is to go and to make disciples and as our desire is to go out into the world with our beautiful feet. There's times where our feet get stuck in the mud, right? Because personal evangelism, right, to go out there and to proclaim the gospel is a very daunting task. Would you agree? Right. For some of us, it just really it, it freaks us out is something that when we think about it right we know that it's good we want to do it but there's all these issues that we have and the one thing about evangelism what it does is that whatever weakness that you have whatever immaturity that you have to be ordered right evangelist evangelism brings those things to the forefront so if you're struggling with fear right and you are a people pleaser or a people fearer right the thing you don't want to do is you don't want to step on people toes and you don't want to lose favor with people right and so in order to evangelize you got to face your fears right and then also to evangelize you got to call people out on sin and tell them like yo your life is foul you dirty dude you need to repent you can't live that way, right? And that goes against all the social conventions going on now because we live in a quote-unquote tolerant society. And so that's just not proper to go around and tell people they are sinners. And not only are they sinners, but that there's only one way to Christ. And so to evangelize, right, is basically you're putting yourself out there, right, to, be, to suffer, to experience loss, And so when we hear those things, the last thing we think about is joy, right? And so what I want to do today is that I want to use Paul's entry into the ministry to kind of give us a, a, a framework on how to do personal evangelism, and then prayerfully be able to encourage you to be able to deal with some of the hangups and some of the fears that we we may have. Amen? Next slide. Next slide. Um, First of all, I just want to give a definition of personal evangelism, right? personal evangelism is the christian work in which we are dealing with a person's spiritual needs particularly salvation and a one-on-one witnessing opportunities and so you know we had those times as a church where we're out there and we're ministering and we're evangelizing together right and we're cool in those settings because you got your homies and you got your peeps around you but then with personal evangelism, right, is that when we're in those one on one situations. Remember when Pastor Eric talked about when he talked about being in a supermarket and you know being led by the spirit to like share the gospel with someone, right? It's those times where you're one on one, right, with a total stranger, or it's one on one with your coworker or with a family member, right? That, right, where it's just you, them and the Holy Spirit and now you got to engage them and the one thing i realized that in this country right the bible doesn't do this but the country does is that there's two type of christians there's christians you know like everybody's a christian right but then it's those people oh you one of those right and so you could be a christian and everybody is cool with you right you're a great coworker, you're a great neighbor, you're a great, all these things. But when you begin to like engage them with the gospel, then it's like, oh, you're one of those, right? You're one of those zealous types. And so it's in these one-on-one opportunities where you got to begin to face your fears, where you got to begin to preach the gospel, right? But it's these one-on-one opportunities, like I said before, that is paralyzing for a lot of us. All right. Could you go back one? And so now we're going to hop into our text for the day. It says, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. Now this immediately, this person that is going to preach in the synagogue is Paul. Uh, Last week, Paul had this amazing conversion, right? He was on his way to Damascus to uh, persecute Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. This was a man that was uh, killing Christians, persecuting them, hunting them down, right? The most unlikely, as uh, Elder Matthew said, to be saved. But a funny thing happened on on the way to Damascus. Christ revealed himself to him and Paul was saved. Christ came and said, Saul, Saul, why is it that you persecute me? And he said, who are you, right? And Christ revealed himself as the Lord. And in this moment, Paul realized that all this time he's persecuting, right? He was actually thinking he was zealous for God, but he was really going against God. And so he had this fantastic conversion, and he wind up, instead of coming into Damascus as this... um, triumphant um, persecutor that was about to cleanse the world of Christians, he came blinded, needing to have his hand held and led into the city. But after three days of fasting and and praying, he breaks his fast, right? He spent a little time with the disciples, right? His new peeps. And then the scripture says he's what? He immediately Began to proclaim jesus and so when i think about this particular passage i think about the pace and the passion of paul immediately simply means soon as right so he breaks his fast he hangs with the disciples, right? He hangs with his new peeps. That's kind of how we see it in event, see it play out in Acts. People come to Christ, and then they connect with the body of the Christ. They connect with the church. He spent a little time with them. And then immediately, as soon as he set, stepped foot in the synagogue, he began to preach Christ. Paul moved with immediacy, he moved with a purpose, right? How many of you have children and the thing that drives you crazy is when you tell them to do something and they take their time doing it, right? So here God the Father told Paul, like, you are my instrument, I'm calling you to the ministry, you're going to go out and proclaim me to the world. And Paul, unlike, and I'm guilty of this, like like, as a son, delayed the parents' right um, rule, he immediately got busy, and that's one of the things that I think when it comes to evangelism, because it's something that is not that desirous to do, we wind up delaying it, right So our testimony wouldn't be that we got saved and immediately began to preach the gospel a lot of us our testimony is we, we got saved and then eventually we got around to it maybe and you know one of the things when i think about the delay right because what's the opposite of immediately is delay and many of us we certainly we wrestle with this cycle of delay in fact we know we're supposed to preach the gospel but we treat it like a text. And what I mean by that is like, whenever you get a text, right, you look at it and you see who sent the text and the message and you either one, you just blow it off, right? It's someone that you know is probably bringing you drama or not really talking about about anything. So you just blow off the text, right? And sometimes we do that. The gospel is going to bring drama into your life. And so some of us, we're just, Straight up disobedient. We know we hear the call to go out and make disciples, but we look at the text and we just blow it off. For some of us, we we, we we look at the text and it's somebody that's important and what they're talking about is important. But what we're doing at that moment has captured our attention, right? And so, you know, the gospel is important. You know, to be out there evangelizing is important, but right now, you know, you got to, you're, you're, you're going to college, right? Or right now, you're, you're, you're like, man, I just got out of college. Now I'm, I'm in my career. Or, ah, you know, right now um, I'm chasing this honey because, you know, companionship. I'm thinking about getting married. And so those things wind up taking our, 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 taken us away from preaching the gospel now those things are great right but what happens is we can make them an idol and wind up finding that our 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 passion right or our pace for our, our our lives our pace to be to satisfy the cares of the world and all these other things that pace is immediately but when it comes to christ it's on delay And and, and I'm going to tell you something, when you get caught up in this cycle, it's only going to be, it's only going to, you know, get longer because once you graduate from college, you get in your career, once you get in your career, you find your companion then you have a baby and then you're like man i gotta get settled in raising up these kids and then the kids graduate from college and then you know you're like man i gotta work overtime well because i gotta pay for this college or whatever and you say but when i'm finished i'm gonna be on mission i'm gonna go out and i'm going to preach the gospel but then you wind up because now you're old you break your hip now you're kind of like yo after my hip heal up i'm so gonna hit Macav with the gospel right And it goes on and go on and go on. And then maybe the sad thing is one day you're going to be on your deathbed and realize that, man, I wasted my life. I wasted just a wonderful calling that the Lord gave to me. And even though you was a knucklehead, you know, God's going to say you're my knucklehead. He's going to bring you into glory. But... What a sad way to enter into it. All right. And there's some of us, when we hear the call to make disciples, we don't even look at the text because we got the Freddy Krueger Friday 13th theme music because we know that it's fearful. So it's like, eek! Like, I ain't looking at it. I don't want to go out there. I'm scared. I'm fearful. I'm not going to even look at the task. And so, but what we're going to do as we continue to process through this, I want you to continue to pay attention because we're going to deal with those fears. Amen. So you'll be able to read all your texts and you could be getting busy for the Lord. Um, the second thing, Paul's passion. So his pace. He was immediate, he was urgent, you know. We would say he was on fire, but then he was passionate, right? What was he passionate about? He was passionate about proclaiming Jesus as the son of God. Now, Paul was just a passionate person even before Christ, right? In Acts 22, 3, 5, it says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicilia, but brought up... Um, In this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted the way to the death, binding, delivering to prison, both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness from them. I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bounds to Jerusalem to be punished. Right, Paul was a man of great passion. But here what we see was that his passion was misguided. But when he came face to face with his Savior, God not only redeemed his soul, but he redeemed his zeal. He redeemed his passion. Right? And that was just, you could kind of go right and so now we read in romans fifteen eighteen through 20 for i will not venture to speak of anything except what christ has accomplished through me to bring the gentiles to obedience by word and deed by the power of signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of god so that from jerusalem and all the way around um if Ip- what um uh, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. I always remind myself to listen to Bible on audio so I can uh, pronounce those words. But, um, and thus I make it my ambition, right? Look at that word, ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ had already been named. Least I build on someone else's foundation, right? That word ambition means aim. His ambition, his passion, his life's aim was about the proclamation of the gospel, about making Christ known throughout the world. When you think about your evangelistic posture, right, or someone described you as an evangelist, would they say that you are ambitious, right? The, right When people look at you or look at me, right? Or they're saying like, man, that dude loves the Lord. And everything about his life is aimed towards Christ, right? Not aimed towards careers, college, retirement, and all these other things, but that his life's ambition his zeal, his aim, his focus is upon Christ. And so Paul goes from this misguided zeal. And he is transformed into someone with a holy ambition. And, and man, I just, I pray that that will be our hearts, right? That as we are neighboring and doing our things, that we are doing it with a holy ambition. Amen? Next passage. All right. And so now this dude, who was a persecutor of the Christians, right, right, is now preaching Christ, preaching him him as God, doing it passionately, doing it with zeal, And now look at the response of his old homies and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? Right. They didn't they don't don't even want to say Jesus now. Right. And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? right before christ everything the scripture testifies about paul's life right is violent right he was just simply a nasty dude and what the passage says about here because now he's a transformed dude right and when they saw this transformed life in action they were what amazed Now, this is not amazed, like, wow, this is like totally cool. They were amazed because they're looking at this man who was once their, like their man. He was their champion. Like Paul was like, he was going up the pharisaic ladder. He was doing big things, right? He was zealous, more zealous than any of his peers. And they're looking at who they thought was going to cleanse their synagogue and their area of Christians, now he, he switched teams, right? They're looking at him as a traitor, as a turncoat. And, you know, when I think about the transformed life, right, it gets a response. It creates a buzz in that person' sphere. and there 's three reactions to the transform transformed life, first of all, baffled right or antagonistic that 's what we just saw here, right but then astonished acts two seven and they were amazed and astonished and are not all these who are who are speaking uh, Galileans and so on. And, and acts are these as the, these unlearned men are now preaching the gospel with boldness and they're seeing these signs and wonders people are like astonished they're amazed at what's going on and then you got uh praise in galatians and this comes from the saints there are they're only were hearing it said he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they glorify god because of him right and so When Paul came to Christ, or when anybody comes to Christ, and he's a new creation, he is transformed. Once again, there's a buzz. People are either going to be haters, and they're going to be like, Who do you think you are? Right? You know, you're not any better than us. Have anybody ever ran into that? Where people, they don't, they want to remember you as the old you, or the fact the new you begins to convict them. Because they know that they dirty. And so when they look at your testimony, they're not looking at it as something like amazing. They're just baffled, antagonistic, right? But then you got people around you that's kind of like, I, I, I like the new Alvin, right? They may not necessarily, is they're getting it that I'm transformed or that person is transformed because of Christ. But it's something like, man, Man, he used to cuss people out in a pin drop. Now he's just, man, he's just nice, right? I remember a coworker of mine, I could not stand him. He could not stand me. And and this was before Christ. And I threatened him one day because he was just really just, ah. But then one day he just came up to me and was just like, you know, Alvin, you different. And from that moment, we were like good friends, Right? because he saw a change in my life i didn't even recognize that people saw me that way but he saw a change and that was just like man well praise the lord like he saw something he saw a guy working in my life so he was astonished right didn't accept christ but at that moment he was astonished but then like when we see the transformed life we're praising the lord right and when they heard that Paul, right? This is almost like the head of ISIS who is killing Christians right now. Come to Christ. Right? And not only he comes to Christ, but he's fired up and he's zealous. Right? And word get to the Christians who flooded out the country who are now refugees. They hear it and go, Whoa, our God is amazing. Right? Our God is sovereign. He's powerful. He saved that dude, <laughs> get out of here. And how much would that drive you to want to go and proclaim the gospel even harder? You know, one of the things that I, let me go to the next one. Up, oh, go down. Oh, nope, I didn't put that on there. One of the things, anybody know the church model? Real quick, do you know the church's model? Pastor Eric, do you know? No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing communities transform both spiritually and physically starting with our own, right? And so as we go out into the world with our beautiful feet, with our transformed, by, uh, transformed lives, right? Growing in Christ, right? We let our light shine, right? And we come to this community, And they see us and they go, wow, all right, those good people. And we create a buzz, right? But the one thing I realized is that there's one thing to see the fruit of a transformed life. There's a difference when you see the actual transformation. You know... You hear my testimony and you see my life now, you go, man, Alvin is, man, he loves the Lord, right? And you hear my testimony, you'd be like, wow, that's, that's a deep testimony God brought you from there. But you can't understand or appreciate it to the depths that my wife can. You know, when my wife, who I'm most intimate with, who knows me better than anybody, who knew how foul and adulterous and wicked and just out of control I really was, right? When she sees the transformation in my life, right, it's on a whole nother level. She can appreciate it more. She can glorify God even more, right? Because she actually witnessed the transformation. Did that make sense? So as we are taking our transformed lives into the community and we are preaching the good news and people are hearing the good news as we communicate it to them and they become uh, and they give their lives to Christ and they are saved and then they are transformed, then guess what the community sees? They begin to witness with their own eyes transformation and and so as we are a church we do these momentum outreaches right and we want to build up momentum right our backpack outreach our um you know our three-on-three tournaments right we're going out there trying to build up momentum and all those things are great right love doing it but i believe that there is no better momentum outreach then the momentum of the reach going out that makes sense that when those people who are reached right that we reach that god allows us to win their souls when they begin to go out into the community and tell what christ has done for them oh that's going to be a game changer family you believe that And so when you see the crackhead, through the power of the gospel, become a sober-minded, righteous man who now stands, right, on a corner and preaches the gospel, right, people got to deal with that. Just like the Pharisees and the Jews had to deal with Paul, and either they're going to be baffled, astonished, or amazed. But the thing is now they got to wrestle with it because they see the realities of the gospel in front of their eyes. When the dope man who hustles and and who sells drugs and is one of the major contributors to the destruction of a community. When that dope man hears the communicated gospel, the gospel communicated to him and he comes to Christ and he leaves his street corner and he joins the CDC, Community Development um, Corporation, right? And he goes from a man that sells drugs that destroyed the community, now is chilling at Mac Ave, sitting on the CDC board, desiring to build up the community, not only physically, but spiritually as well, as he now begins to allow his life transform, be a light to the community, and he begins to preach the gospel. What great momentum that would be. Right? Or when the pimp marries the prostitute and together they become a family and they become a gospel center in the community. You you can't tell me that people are not gonna be like, what in the world is going on? It's the gospel. So when we are faithful to preaching the word, right? God is going to use it mightily. It's not going to go in vain, right? It's not going to be done in vain. God will be the glory. Next. Right. So we talked about Paul's pace, his passion. And now we're going to talk about Paul's disciplined life. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. All right. And so now he's interacting he's proving right he's going he's taking them through the scriptures right he's proving he's putting together he's taking them through the old testament right showing all the prophecies and um the the um the the types and the shadows and the laws and then pointing them to christ right who came and fulfilled the prophecies and all these other things fulfilled the law who died and who was resurrected all these different things right he's right he's proven christ is the son of god by taking them through the scriptures and they're just baffled right they can't deal with them all right they're confounded meaning that they were agitated but the thing i want you to focus on is that but saul increased all the more in strength now what was paul doing when he increased in strength he was evangelizing he was sharing his faith As he was stepping out in faith, God was growing him in that moment. And so Paul is, um, he's at this moment maturing and growing in his faith. So he was actually more mature in this moment than he was even before he stepped into the synagogue, right? He's already growing in grace, and so, family, I want you to know that evangelism is a means of grace that God uses to mature us. Right? And when you talk about spiritual disciplines, there's all type of things that God gives us to mature us, right? It's the fellowship, um, Bible study, meditation, right? Um, um, What is that? uh, Worship, like all these, showing self-control. All these things God uses us to grow us in our faith. And evangelism is one of those things. And so the thing is, is that, um, and just like all the other spiritual disciplines, in order to, right, grow in them, we have to what? Do them. So to grow in prayer, you have to what? Pray. To grow in Bible study, you have to, You know, studying your Bible, you have to actually study your Bible. You have to grow, right, in these things. Now, the problem is with us is that we kind of got a wrong perspective on evangelism. We think about evangelism as something we grow into and not something that we grow in. For example, you know, you think like, man, once I get enough Bible knowledge, uh, enough uh, maturity, uh, learn some apologetics, right? I'll be adequate enough to go out and preach the gospel. But that's not what it is. It's a spiritual discipline and you grow in it. And so at the moment of salvation, you are ready to go preach the gospel. You know, in John 9, 25, right? When Jesus healed the blind man, you know, he didn't know all the nuances to the gospel. He just looked. All he knew was I was blind. Now I see right that was his testimony at that moment i was blind now i see the woman at the well she just went to the uh went to her peeps and was just like yo let me tell you about this man right and so it's something that you grow in and the way that and and my posture and the way that i kind of think of it is is i say look go with what you know and grow right just go with what you know Right. If all you know is Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, man, you go out there, you preach it to the mountaintops. And here's the thing, as you practice those other disciplines, right, God is going to grow you and you're going to become a more skillful, more mature evangelist. Right. But it's only after, you know, you spend time right meditating on his word and seeing the beautiful uh, glory of his holiness and beginning to, and get this world view right and you begin to look at this world and see that it's sinful how sinful it is and your heart begins to break and become vexed uh, uh, about the sin that you see in your life right and as you begin to pray god thy kingdom come Right. And he begins to build this desire for you to see this this kingdom realized and how, you know, and so you want to go and you want to see Christ rule and reign in the hearts of men. Right. You want to pray for his second coming. This begins to build up that that evangelistic passion and that fire and you begin to grow. Right. And so when Christ presents you to that person, he leads you to that person that needs to hear about him then what's happening is that the Christian life is just now pouring out, right? It's just going to pour out, right? What Christ has done in your life, what he's done in the world, right? You're going to be able to do all the proving and pointing and all these other great things that an evangelist should be able to do. But I just want you to be encouraged that, look, you don't have to graduate from seminary. Just take what you know and then go, right? Don't feel inadequate. Don't feel inadequate. And, as, and, and I'm going to tell you, as long as you're in this particular body, you're going to hear the gospel every Sunday. You're going to hear it in your small groups. You're going to hear it in discipleship. You will grow and you will be a stud, right? All right. So, he, so in Acts 23... When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. Uh, they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening wall, lowering him in a basket. Paul preached, they got stumped. They couldn't deal with them. And so they did what Jewish leaders did. They plotted to kill them. Um, you go into second Corinthians, eleven thirty two to thirty three and, and Paul is talking about this, this this experience. He said at Damascus, the governor under King Artias was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was led down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Um, so basically, what the Jews did was they wanted to plot Saul they wanted to kill Saul. And they wind up finding that they had a common enemy, right? In King Artius, because somewhere in this narrative that we're talking about, and we don't know if it's, if it happened between Acts uh, 9, 19 and 20, or between Acts, uh, what is it, uh, 20 or 22, somewhere during this whole time, Paul dipped to Arabia. And there is believed that, you know, he might have had some time uh, communing with the Lord and kind of reflecting on what's going on. Um, But, you know, I'm not quite sure. But whatever he did, he seemed like he got the officials upset. So more than likely, knowing Paul, he went there preaching the gospel. And so now the king is annoyed. The Jews are annoyed. And isn't it just funny how every time the people begin to hate Christians, they go run to the government, right, for help to deal with the Christians? It happened with Jesus. It happened with Stephen, right? It happened with, now it's happening with Paul. All right. next slide. Right, so we talked about his passion and now we're going to talk about his suffering because what this was to Paul was, this was the Christian wake-up call. I remember as I grew up, I always heard this term, you know, you're going to get a black wake-up call. And really what that means is, is that one day, you're gonna grow up and you're gonna realize that you're black and you're gonna realize the reality of being black, you know? And so what happens is me growing up in Detroit where I am in the majority, right? You know, it doesn't really hit me. I hear, I I read the history and all these other things, right? But I'm around my peeps, I'm in the city. But then when I grew up and I stepped out that city and I was no longer in the majority, I was in the minority, then guess what i I got that wake-up call when i got pulled over for being black i got that wake-up call when i wound up going to a, a college right and automatically people assumed i was thug right because i was from detroit and i wore my hat to the side right at that moment i realized like wow i'm black and this is what i i have to face with well It's no different. I went from being a black man to being a Christian man. And so at some point, you're going to get this Christian wake-up call that you're a Christian and the world don't like you. And Paul got this. Because now Paul is about to face his suffering. You know, you go back to Acts fifteen, sixteen, it says, But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is chosen instrument instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so now Paul he already dealing with the Gentiles. They're coming down on his head. King Artias, the children of Israel. They are now coming down on his head, right? And this is only the beginning. Because now when we go into uh, the next uh, verse, we find that in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-three 23 to 27, we begin to see when Christ said that he's going to suffer all that he has to suffer. Now we're going to look at this list and we're going to see what he had to suffer. It says, are they servants of Christ? Am I a better one? Am I talking like a madman with the far greater labors? Right now he's about to talk about all his sufferings. He had far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Uh, A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentile, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Now we read that list and you think, and I think like, see, that's why I don't share my faith. It brings too much drama, right? But the one thing I want you to, I keep saying the one thing, it's a lot of things I want you to know. The thing I want you to know is that Paul embraced his calling. And I think we don't evangelize because we really haven't fully embraced our calling right you know if you go to uh, the next passage of scripture it says then Paul answered what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart for I'm ready not only to be in prison but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus right they're about to you know they got word just like he got word here and got word there that yo they about to kill you they about to bind you they about to go to Jerusalem now And uh, when he was in Damascus, you know, he fled in a little basket, right? But here, after preaching, he has grown to the point where he's just like, whatever, right? And when you read that passage, they're like, like, Paul, don't go. We were pleading with you. Paul, don't go. They're going to kill you. They're going to bind you. No, it's stupid. It's foolish. And all it was was breaking into his heart because he's looking at them like, yo, y'all don't understand, this is why God called me. This is what I do. And I'm going to embrace this calling. And whatever happens, it happens. He embraced it. And so I want to just leave you with three reasons to embrace suffering. First, it's a part of the saint's life. Indeed, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, for now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Blessed are those who are persecuted for, the righteousness, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely on my account. It's just a part of life. Now, you may not suffer on a level as Paul. You may not suffer on the level of our brothers and sisters in iraq but but if you are obedient to share your faith to preach the gospel you're going to suffer there's just no way around it and so if you're not suffering maybe it's because you're not being faithful to preaching the gospel because usually we don't get our mouth blew out because we serve somebody a turkey We get our mouth blew out because we done caused somebody to repentance. Right? So it's a part of the life. So you might as well embrace it. The second thing, Philippians, right? Suffer grows and assure us in our faith uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Right? And in this you rejoice through now for a little while if necessary you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes through it is tested by fire may be found to result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of christ right and so in these passages of scripture you're seeing that uh God is using these trials and, and all these things to grow you in faith, right? You know, as Paul was getting beat down, as he was getting lit into it, when he had the Jews, the Gentiles, the kings, the environment, you know, he's adrift at sea. All these things were doing was it was growing his faith because in every moment, God was there in the trial. Every moment, God was preserving him, right? The Holy Spirit was giving him strength. He was growing, he was maturing, he was able to be bold, right? And so when you see all those great sufferings, the end result was that you saw a great man. You saw Paul, right? And God used him greatly. And so the more you suffer, the more you grow, the more you're going to be used by God in his kingdom, And that all starts with you being ambitious, right? You moving with a sense of urgency to preach the gospel. Next thing. And go up one more. Our next verse. And then it prepares us for eternity. For I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Right, next verse. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Right? And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Paul embraced his calling and he was able to embrace his calling because his eyes was on eternity. Heaven awaited Paul. No matter how much pain he felt on this side, he knew that it was just gonna be that much glorious when he was face to face with his savior. Man, how beautiful after living this life, after suffering greatly, Right. After all the sacrifices, moving to the hood, sacrificing career opportunities, sacrificing um, overtime, sacrificing all these things, having to deal with men who, who hates us because of the call of Christ. And at the end of that, you go home to glory and Jesus there going, well done, good and faithful servant. It just leaves you speechless. So family, I just want to encourage you to go preach the gospel. Go with what you know. And God is there. And we're together, right? We're going to suffer in community because as we shine the light to the world as a church, right, the community is going to see it. The beautiful thing is that they're going to be at MacLit and they're going to hear uh, Christian read the gospel Bible story, right? And then they come into the hood and move next door to Matthew and then he's proclaiming truth. And and then down the street, they may see one of us preaching the gospel over here. They're going to see this transform life. I'm telling you, it's going to be on and popping in this community. The 48214. Man, I'm just praying that God will bring revival and that the world will see that, man, it's not about just building houses and, and all these other things. But when they see spiritual transformation, man, just imagine God doing something historical here, putting our names in the history books, the revival, the Maccab revival. And I pray that people won't remember us, but they just know that God moved in a mighty way in 2014. So go out there in faith, face your fears in faith and trust in the Lord. Dear gracious father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for allowing us to be your ambassadors. Lord, we thank you for taking our ugly feet and making them beautiful, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you will begin to grow us to be powerful ministers of the gospel. Lord, I pray that whatever um, fears or hangups, Lord, that we will address them immediately so that we could be about proclaiming you immediately. Lord, I pray that we won't fear men. I pray that we won't fear suffering, but that we would embrace it. And Lord, we're going to trust that as we embrace the suffering that you're going to be there and so lord we love you we honor you and may you and you alone receive all the glory amen